0: On Tuesday, 5th August 1890, Mary Ann Innes died at the Newton Hotel in Kirrymuir. Her death raised suspicion and eventually her husband, John Webster, stood trial for her murder. At the beginning of August, Mary Ann began to feel unwell. She suffered from vomiting and was thirsty all the time. Over the next few days, she grew worse and local physician Dr. George Clark was called. He believed she was suffering from gastroenteritis. Normally known as a healthy woman, it came as a shock when she died. Her husband claimed that she had died of the Scotch cholera caused by eating new potatoes and fresh vegetables, but something was just not quite right and many became suspicious that he may have had a hand in her death. He showed no sign of being upset when she died, and his behaviour at her funeral was said to be callous. Thirty-eight-year-old Webster was for many years business manager and treasurer of the Dundee Theatre, and in the early summer of 1890 purchased the hotel in Kirrymuir just over £1,900. In October the previous year, he and his wife took out a joint insurance policy to be paid on their deaths, but only two of the half-yearly premiums had been paid. When he tried to put in a claim for the £1,000, the insurance companies suspected there was more to this case than met the eye and refused to pay up. Mary Ann was exhumed on 27th November and tests carried out. It was found she had consumed a vast quantity of arsenic. Webster was arrested on 4th December on suspicion of her murder. On Saturday 17th January 1891, One of the key witnesses called to the trial of Webster was found dead. James Peacock was a barman at the Newton Hotel and was one of the principal witnesses for the Crown. With his absence from the High Court of Judiciary in Edinburgh on the Friday, it led to the postponement and a warrant was issued for his arrest. Search parties were sent out to scour the district, but without success. On the Saturday afternoon at Wilkie's Linen Works, water was run off their pond with the result that Peacock's body was discovered. There was much speculation in Kerrymuir and the surrounding area when he was found, but foul play was ruled out. Finally, on Tuesday 17th February, Webster's trial resumed before the Lord Justice Clerk John Macdonald Lord Kingsborough, on a charge of poisoning mary Ann. There had been interest in the case from the start, but it was intensified by Peacock's suicide. Long before the commencement of the trial, the courtroom was crowded, a large number of those present being women, as well as a number of young advocates. The prisoner, who was described as a respectable-looking man, told the court that he was not guilty. Helen Rose Grant, a servant at the hotel, was the first of over 60 witnesses called. She said that Mrs Webster first fell ill on Friday, 1st August. She vomited twice that day. On the Saturday, Mrs Webster continued to be ill, vomiting frequently and being unable to retain any food. On Sunday, Webster said his wife was not very right, but she would not hear of a doctor being called. He did, however, send for Dr Clark on Sunday evening. Mary vomited every hour on Sunday and gradually got worse till she died on the Tuesday. During her illness only Webster their daughter Lizzie and Grant entered her bedroom David Peacock James's brother stated that Peacock had committed suicide by drowning the day before the trial was to begin on 14th of January Frederick Johnson a law clerk in Kerrymore said he was at the Newton hotel on the 11th when Peacock asked him what would happen if he changed his statement at the trial from the one he had given. He explained that he remembered seeing Mrs. Webster vomiting. While he had stated to the authorities, she had never done so. Ten-year-old Lizzie Webster, whose appearance in the witness box greatly affected her father, said that during her mother's illness She did not take any food to her. Dr Clark stated to the court that Mrs Webster was suffering from excessive vomiting. She complained of stomach pains, was thirsty and had no appetite. He prohibited the use of stimulants which were being given to her. No explanation was given as to the cause of her illness and in the evening when he had visited mary a second time, she was senseless, and he was surprised at the change in her condition. He ordered hot applications to her feet and powders. The next day he heard she was dead. That evening Webster came to him for the death certificate, and the doctor certified gastritis as the cause of death. In her testimony, Mrs. Webster, Mary Ann's mother-in-law, said that so far as she knew, her son and his wife lived happily together after they moved to Kerrymuir She said she had conversations with Mary about an illness she had. The dead woman had said that if the medicine she had been given did not do her any good, she would have to go through an operation. The prisoner had been a good son to her, she stated. Jesse Webster, his sister, said that her brother lived happily with his wife. She also told the court she had stayed with mary at Kirrymuir and on two occasions mary became ill and vomited. There was nothing in her meals to account for her vomiting. There were several medicine bottles in the dead woman's bedroom, she claimed, and she also implied mary had sought to be sterilised to prevent her from having any more children as she had lost three, although two survived. Moreover, the Webster women and the servant called Nellie all insinuated mary had been unfaithful to Webster, that she was promiscuous. However, in letters mary had written It was clear she felt her in-laws were a bad influence on her husband and when she moved to the Newton Hotel was no longer on speaking terms with them. It also transpired Webster had tried to throw her out of her home in Dundee and on one occasion she went back to stay with her parents. She only went back to him when he threatened to take away her two surviving children. She also suspected he was unfaithful. At the trial, Mrs. Webster spoke of her son's habits and attributed his sexually transmitted infections to his wife and her alleged affairs. Dr. Steel Moon said Webster consulted him regarding the infections, which he did agree Webster had told him he had got from his wife. Moon treated him and Webster recovered. However, Mary Ann was said to have been faithful. So where did she get the diseases? Agnes Scott, who worked in the theatre at Dundee, said Webster had sexually harassed her regularly when she came in to light the fire in the mornings. This got back to Mary Ann, who felt utterly distraught. She also found out he had taken a liking to Mrs. Jackson, Kate Martin, who collected the tickets for the expensive boxes. Her husband had deserted her and Webster helped her find a solicitor to help with her divorce. His own. He received copies of the documents and was listed on the itemised bill as having attended appointments with her. Lizzie Webster later told her mother that Webster had bought a new photograph album which contained two photographs of Jackson. Jackson denied having a relationship with Webster, claiming she got her divorce to marry someone else. Professor Fraser of Edinburgh said he had examined the dead woman's kidneys and the symptoms indicated a form of Bright's disease. She also had an unusually large uterus. In a person with that condition, arsenic would be a natural remedy. During proceedings, glass jars with parts of Mary Ann's body were held up for those in the court to see. It was a gruesome sight. Dr Howden, Superintendent of the Montrose Asylum, also took the stand and stated that Marianne's mother was confined for some time at that institution. She had suffered from melancholia and exhibited suicidal tendencies. The implication was that Marianne suffered the same. Dr Bruce was also called as a witness. He told the court that for a person of Mrs Webster's condition, he concurred with Howden regarding the arsenic. So, could Mary have administered the arsenic herself? The defence, led by Mr Asher, Webster's counsel, believed so. They claimed she had taken Fowler's solution, which contained small quantities of arsenic, and was used for gynecological conditions. The Webster women also claimed she had taken it, but her doctors, who had treated her final illness and dealt with her during her pregnancies, had never prescribed it. It was never proved she had taken any, and no evidence was found at her home. She would have had to have taken at least two tablespoons to account for the amount of arsenic found in her stomach. Following summaries, The case closed and the judge directed the jury to look at the evidence. They returned to the court at 5.30 after an absence of less than 10 minutes with the verdict. In the silence, the clerk asked what it was. The foreman stood and said, the jury unanimously find the prisoner not guilty. The Crown simply couldn't prove Webster had poisoned his wife and he was discharged. There was cheering from the public gallery as he was acquitted and in one of the side rooms Webster was reunited with his relieved family. Following his acquittal Webster and Jackson went on to get married in Glasgow. The day before they boarded a ship and emigrated Canada.